Uh, and again, I want to extend just a, a warm welcome to you. Uh, if this is one of your first Sundays, or maybe the first Sunday, I'm certainly glad that you're here with us. We uh, hope that you feel less like a guest and more like family when you leave this morning. Um, but we are in our, our teaching series that we're calling Made New. It's a teaching series through the book of Ephesians. So if you have a Bible with you or if you have uh, an app on your phone or something like that, you may want to slide over to Ephesians. It's a letter in the Newer Testament book, uh, uh, Newer Testament of the Bible. It's towards the end of the Bible if you're newer to try and find your way there. We have journals for you if you're here in person. We have journals that are in the back. If you didn't bring your journal, if you forgot, if you never got one, you're not going to offend me. If you want to jump up and grab one this morning, we can, uh, yeah, there's a spot to take some sermon notes and some questions to dive in, some, some deeper study as we go along there. We call this the book of Ephesians, but it's really a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends, the church in Ephesus, the churches actually in Ephesus. It was to be spread around and to be shared to the Christians that were there to encourage them to pursue and to follow Jesus more with their life, to encourage, to remind them of who they were and who they are and what God is calling them, the kind of life that God is calling them to do. So this letter that uh, Paul wrote, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is been passed down to us as followers of Jesus to be encouraged in our life, to be encouraged in what God would be calling us to do as well. He said in the very beginning of the book, in the first chapter there, if, our, if the eyes of our heart would be opened, that we would see the goodness of God and we would see how he has the power of God to radically alter the trajectory of our life. Radically change, in other words, the direction of our life from one direction to the next. And so we're going to see that all the way throughout his letter, this kind of, this idea that we can live a new way of living uh, in and under the reign of Jesus in our life. So my encouragement for you, wherever you are in your life with Jesus, if you feel like you're just starting this journey with Jesus, or you feel like you've been traveling with Jesus for what seems like decades, my encouragement, my hope for you this morning is that you would have a better understanding of the life that God is calling us to because of Christ and the, the power of God at work in our life to change the trajectory of our life to find the, the eternal life that God has created for us. So this morning we're going to consider Ephesians chapter 2. So again, if you have a Bible with you, you want to find your way to Ephesians chapter 2. In particular, we're going to look at the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, you can look at the, the screens behind me uh, as we go, or you can follow along in your own Bible or on the app that you have with you. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll settle in to see what God teaches us uh, through His Scripture this morning. As for you, Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like Christ, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus." 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let me pray for us and we'll dive in and see what God teaches us through the passage today. God, we come before you and we believe that this Holy Scripture has been inspired by you. That Paul, through his uh, relationship with you, was inspired to write and encourage these words nearly 2,000 years ago. And they've been handed down, preserved for us to encourage and equip us. We believe in, in not only the inspiration, but it can be authoritative in shaping our life. And so we ask that you use it to equip and encourage and lead us to a life in your kingdom. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, recently, a couple weeks ago, my family and I went on a family vacation to the mountains of West Virginia and Maryland. It's a beautiful part of the country. We had never been there before, and we decided to spend a week there. We were hiking, and we went horseback riding and skiing, and it was just beautiful. It was wonderful. I wish I could have taken you there. Not really, because it's a family vacation, so, you know. But it was a wonderful time. And the beauty that we saw on our hikes or our horseback riding was just awe-inspiring, breathtaking. We all took pictures. We had uh, pictures of each other and we could see them. But the pictures that I could show you of our family vacation pale in comparison to what we saw with our own eyes. Just not even close to being able to show you the grandeur and the majesty of frozen waterfalls and mountains rises and sunsets and you just couldn't take it all in. You just to smell the fresh air and just feel the, the briskness of the air and to smell the pine trees and all of it around on this little family vacation. You know, I have a snapshot I could show you, but it doesn't, doesn't do justice to what we saw. And we could stand on one of these rocks on the hike that we took uh, was right by this river, and you could see the river flowing from the, our right to our left. And at one point, it had over a 50-foot waterfall, and there's frozen icicles on either side of it, and the rush and the roar of the river and the, all the stuff that was coming at us at every angle and all of that to say. We took pictures, and I could show you this frozen rock and this frozen icicle, but it doesn't give you the context. It doesn't show you all that was there when we stood on these rocks and we took it all in. I don't know if you have this capability on your phone, but uh, I have on my phone the, the ability to take what's going on as a panoramic picture, right? Where you put a little button and you slowly move the camera, not too fast or not too slow, and kind of keep it so that you can take a picture and be able to capture all of it. Not just one spot, but all of that. And even a panoramic shot that I could show of the river really doesn't do the justice. It was much greater, much bigger than what this little picture could really take. And what Paul is doing in this short passage, these 10, these 10 verses, is trying to paint, if you were, a panoramic shot of our life with Christ. Not just the specific one little thing about it, but the whole panoramic view. And even the panoramic view, even these 10 verses, don't quite capture all the grandeur of our life with God. But it's Paul's attempt to show us the wholeness of our life with Christ. 
And while it's true and it's really good for us to zero in on one particular area of it, just like it would be good for me to show you a one particular picture of that needle that of the pine tree and how the ice and the snow was hanging off of that and the great detail of that. And that's a really good aspect. It doesn't, put it, it doesn't do its justice unless you see it in its context. And that's what Paul is trying to do for us. While we could spend decades even studying just one verse of these 10 verses, and that would be a good thing to do this morning, we want to look at the panoramic view. We want to look at the grandeur of our life with Christ and what it is that God is calling us to and what it is He's calling us from. This is what we'll see in our short 10 verses because Paul will begin on this panoramic view. He begins with were. And then he moves to who we are, and because of who we are and the power of God to change the trajectory of our life, he calls us to who we're becoming. All in these ten short verses, you begin to see this panoramic view of who we were and who we are and what it is that God is calling us to become. And for sure, we can spend hours upon hours looking at one of those three, but in these ten verses, Paul gives us a, a good view of the magnitude of our life with Christ. And then these things begin to take shape as we see them put into perspective, not just what they were, but where they are in place of our life with Christ, where they are placed along this panoramic picture. And so Paul starts with who we were. Starts with who we were. So listen again, verses 1 and 2. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So Paul begins this panoramic picture of our life with Christ with describing our life before Christ. He describes it by saying that we were dead, or in other words, we were wandering away from God. We were wandering from God, and in our wandering from God, we were cut off from the life that we were meant to live. He says we were following the ways of this world, and the, the prince of the air of this world, the kingdom of this world, we were all living that way. We were following, we were wandering in that way, and we were cut off from the life of God. And he because of that, you were spiritually dead. You experienced a spiritual death to you when you wandered away from the life-giving source of life with God. You were dead in your sin and your transgressions. You had wandered off from the life-giving relationship with God. See, you and I were made, created for union with God, oneness with God, where we enjoyed that relationship, and yet sin entered the world, and so did brokenness. And sin and brokenness that we have inherited from the original sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, that we have inherited a broken world, a sin-stained world, and that is where we were. And when we've inherited this brokenness and this sin nature, we have wandered away from the source of life itself. And Paul says that wandering has led you to a death. You are, he says, spiritually Dead. You may be physically alive, your body may be physically alive, but your soul has lost its nourishment, has lost the source of life itself, and you are spiritually dead, he says. You and I, we are prone to wander, as the old hymn says. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And in that wandering, 
we are cut off from the source of life itself. And again, while we may be physically breathing, our souls are lacking the nutrition that they need. And as a result of this inherited, sinful, broken nature that we have, we are spiritually dead, he says. But we can't completely blame that brokenness that on, the, on the nature that we've inherited. For when Paul says we are dead in our sins, he's referring to the nature that we've inherited, the broken nature that happened in the garden when sin entered the world and brokenness entered the world. He says you were dead in your sins, which gives reference to the brokenness of our nature, the brokenness of our world around us. But when he says that you are dead in your transgressions, or some translations say your trespasses, when you are dead in your transgression, it carries the notion of willful disobedience. Willful disobedience. It is our choosing to wander. It's our choosing to walk in the ways of the world, gratifying the sinful, fleshful aspect of my life, contrary to the will of God. So we are dead spiritually, both because of the inherited brokenness that we have and our willful disobedience. Both cause our spiritual death, a brokenness to happen in our souls. Paul is very clear that he says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And in this beginning picture of this panoramic picture that Paul starts off with, he says, this is who we were. This is where we were. We had wandered so far that our souls had lacked nutrition and that we are spiritually dead, both because of the brokenness we've inherited and also because we have willfully disobeyed. And we've gone that way. It's exactly what God described would happen in the garden. It's exactly the way God described it when he said to Adam and Eve that you will surely die. And it's what's been happening ever since. Not only our brokenness that we've inherited, but we are prone to wander, prone to follow the ways and the patterns of this world by willfully choosing a way that is contrary to the way of God. And here's the thing that we need to know about being dead. When we are wander and our souls don't have the nutrition and we experience a spiritual death, then we are in no position to rescue ourselves. We can't breathe life into us when we have no life to give. We need the breath of another to resuscitate us. We can't do that on our own, for we are spiritually dead. We need the breath of another to make us alive. This is what Paul says you were. But then he pivots in verses 4 and 5. Remember, he says, you are dead in your sins and your transgressions because of following the patterns of the world, because of the brokenness you've inherited. You have wandered away, and that wandering has led to a spiritual death. And then listen to verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. See, if our wandering will lead to death, then through Christ we are saved, we are resuscitated to a life, an unhindered fellowship life with God. So we are brought back to the original creation intent. 
So while we were dead because of the brokenness we inherited in our willful disobedience, Christ, because of his rich mercy and his outlandish love for us, has breathed into us again and has made us alive. Renew, renewed us with him to unhindered fellowship once again with him where we can live with him. It's what we were created for. It's what you and I were made for. We're enjoying this relationship with God and his presence and he gives us a destiny and a purpose and a life that we can live because of him. Paul says this is all because of grace that you've been made alive. While you were dead in your transgressions, in other words, God woke you up, breathed into you, and resuscitated your life and brought your soul the nourishments that it needed. And while we were living a self-driven life that was destined for the grave, God, who is rich in his mercy and his kindness and love for us, woke us up. Woke us up. Every follower of Jesus has a story like that. Where we once were dead in our sin and our transgression, and yet God in his rich mercy stirred and woke us up brought us to life. Even those of us who feel like you've been following Jesus your entire life. You grew up in the church in a God-honoring family, but at some point you had to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. At some point you had to make a decision that this faith was not your parents' faith, not your grandparents' faith, but this was your faith and that you were going to say yes to following Jesus. So unhindered fellowship with God brings life, restores us to what we were made for. We are no longer bound to the old ways of living, no longer following the things that are gratifying our own sinful desires, but we are given a new purpose and a new destiny. And all of that is because of grace. God's activity to do for us what we cannot or would not do for ourselves is grace. And it is unmerited which means you cannot earn it. It's not given to those who deserve it. It's not given to those who prove themselves well enough or, or, or to earn it in any way. It is given, this grace is given out of the very character of God. Notice when Paul says God's love and his mercy came to us when we were dead in our sin and transgression. Notice when Paul says God's love moved to wake us up. Not when we woke ourselves up. Not when we began to turn. Not when we began to realize our need for him. But God's love came to us while we were dead in our sin and transgression. While we didn't want anything to do with him, he came to us. Paul says it is clear as day in Romans 5 verses 8 that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we could do nothing on our own, Christ breathed into us. While we could not resuscitate on our own, God's grace showed up in a way to bring us back to life. So this grace is not because you and I are born into the right family or because we have the right address or because we have the right things to do or the right clothes to wear. This grace is because of the character of God, not because of our doing or undoing. Paul says, you once were dead in your transgressions and your sins, but God, who is rich in mercy and love, brought you into new life. 
not because you have done anything, but this is all because of grace that you have been saved, unmerited grace. God's activity to work in your life to do for you what you could not or would not do for yourself is all grace. It's all grace. And he does this to demonstrate the incomparable riches of his mercy for us. See, God takes broken, dead things, people broken by nature and broken by willful decisions, and he brings new life to them. That's grace. That's grace. Unhindered life with God is accessible by faith because of grace. And when those truths begin to kind of settle into our hearts and the ramifications of this identity in Christ, that we've been made alive because of Christ, that we've been new life has been brought into us, well, then we would begin to live with humility more than anything else. Humility would be a key marker of a maturing follower of Jesus. Because until the monumental nature of God's mercy and rich love for us, until that really grips our heart, then we will continue to play the game that we are holier than thou. We'll continue to look down our nose at those bad people out there that behave badly. But it's passages like this that give us the whole panoramic view that once we were and now where we are now, and why is it that we are where we are now, that we begin to remember from where we were before, we begin to remember where it was and how it is that we are here, and it is by grace alone. It's by grace alone. And then we come to verses 8 to 10. Passage, by the way, if you have your journal with you, is a passage we've been trying to memorize because this is such a key passage to really resonate in our minds and our hearts and our lives. It's a wonderful summary of our life with Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, unhindered fellowship with God when he breathes life to us to renew us with him. Well, it brings purpose, brings a destiny. We are made with a new purpose. We are God's handiwork, Paul says. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works for which he has prepared for us from the very beginning. From the very beginning. We are created, in other words, brought back to life, in other words, breathed into, in other words, we are created for ministry. We have a purpose, a, a ministry to be a part of it. It's not that we've been given this new life, brought from death to life, and that that's the end of it. It's not that, that you were once were dead and now you're alive and you just wait around for heaven one day. It's not that you were breathed, that you were broken, and now you've been made new, and you just sit around and wait for, for some heavenly angels to come around, and we can float around on, on clouds and play harps all day. That's not why we've been made new. We've been made new for a purpose. We've been created, brought to life for ministry, to do the good works that God's prepared for us in advance to do. He's created us for ministry. He's created us for this life. It's not just that he's brought us to a, a healing life so for our own sake, but he's brought us this unhindered fellowship with God for a purpose, for a ministry. 
for a cause. And what is that? What is the purpose or the cause or the reason that God would breathe life into you? Why would he resuscitate you when you were broken and dead? What's the, what's the good works that Paul says that God created for us from the very beginning, purpose for us in the beginning? Well, if you were here or if you remember in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that the mystery of God, the purposes of God is to bring unity to all things under Christ. To bring unity and peace to all things, to all people and all cosmic, all the creation itself would be one in unity and peace under Christ. So as followers of Jesus, who once were dead in our transgressions and sin, but have been made alive because of the grace of God in our life, we have a purpose to bring oneness and peace and unity to the world around us. So we begin to follow the manner of Christ. We begin to follow the way of Christ. We begin to walk in ways of service. We begin to walk in ways of extending kindness and mercy and forgiveness and gentleness. We begin to walk in His ways and in such a way we bring peace and unity to the people and the communities around us. That's why we've been made. That's the panoramic view that Paul says. You once were dead in your sin and your transgression. God, through Christ and His great mercy, has made you alive for a purpose. To bring unity and peace. To walk in the ways of servanthood and other-centeredness and love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. To bring peace and unity to this world and the world in which we live in. And How do we walk in Christ's way? How can we do that in greater measure? How can we remember where we were and who we are and what it is that God is calling us to? And for that, I, I just have three suggestions for us. Perhaps one of these suggestions is one that you're going to hold on to. It's, it's a nugget that you're going to hold on to and it may change your week and how you approach the people that you in, interact with this week. So the first one, First little nugget as we walk in a ways now that we have been resuscitated by grace through faith for a purpose. Recover the truth that every human being is deeply loved by God and is worthy of our respect and affection. Recover the truth that every human being is deeply and scandalously loved by God. We get so tripped up by what we see on the outside, right? By those that we can, we can designate those as good people and those as bad people. And if we're honest, those that we label as good people are people like us, that agree with us, that think like us, that do things like us because we want to think that we're good people. So people like us and agree with us, well, they're good. And people who disagree with us or do things differently than us, well, they're, they're bad. And we neglect the truth that every human being is deeply loved by God. For his love does not start for us or for anyone else when we decide to get our life in order. His love for us did not start when we decided to turn over towards him. For while we were dead in our sin and our transgression, Christ's love was already there. It's already there. There's not a single person that you have ever locked eyes with who is not immeasurably loved by the God of the universe, no matter how far you think they are gone off the deep end, no matter how far you think they have strayed off the path. There's no human being that you've ever locked eyes with in America, 
in Honduras, in Uganda, in any place. There is not a single human being that you've ever locked eyes with or thought of that is not immeasurably loved by the God of the universe. We need to recover that truth and to hold on to that truth. But we also need to remember that we are all the same at the foot of the cross. Paul says it real clearly. We too were once following the patterns of this world. We too were once following the desires of our fleshly nature. We too were deser deserving wrath and the consequences of a life of sin, both inherited sin and willful disobedience. We too were once in that, in that area of our life as well. We are all the same at the foot of the cross. We need to recover the truth that every person is loved by God and remember that we are all the same at the foot of the cross. Christian spiritual formation includes a humility that recognizes that the sin that we so easily see in other people also resides in us. It's, always, it's only a matter of degree. It's not a matter of kind. The same sin that we see so easily, that we point out so easily in other people out there, resides in me too. And I am in need of God's grace. There's a humility to Christian spiritual formation. For it is by grace I have been saved. Through faith, and this is not of myself, for I have nothing to boast about. It's the same sin that resides in those people that we may label as bad, resides in me. The only difference is degree. So I recover the truth that every person is deeply loved by God. I remember that we're all the same at the foot of the cross. And the third thing, Friends, that's the, that's the hope that we offer people. That's what we tell people. When they're struggling in their life or in their marriage or raising their kids or understanding this world and how to understand the evil and the things that are going on in this world, that's the hope we tell. That's the hope we tell. The message we share is not that you have to clean yourself up in order to be accepted by God or you have to do the right things or wear the right clothes or show up in the right times or do those things in order to prove yourself worthy enough for God's love. But the hope that we share is that God takes broken, dead things and he breathes life into them before they're ready for it. He breathes life into them. That's the hope we hold on to. And that's the hope that we share. That's the hope that we tell people. Because of God's grace, because of his loving mercy, and because of Jesus, new life, unhindered fellowship with God is made accessible by faith because of grace. Because of grace. See, we constantly are measured by what we do. And we measure other people by what they do. We're measured by what we have or what we can accomplish or by our reputation. But the scandal of God's love was that while you were still dead in your sin and your transgression, God's loving kindness and mercy and grace was shown to you. And he breathed eternal life back into your soul and he woke you up. That's the scandal of God's love. Not because you've done anything to deserve it, but solely out of the character of who he is. And our response to that, our response to that is simply a life of devotion and worship and following him where we learn to walk in step with this fellowship, this unhindered life with God. 
So our response is simply a life of devotion of following him, remembering where we were, knowing why we are who we are, and a life of devotion following and patterning our life after him. My hope for you this morning is really simple. My prayer for you this morning is really simple. That if you have come to faith in Jesus, if you know him, that you would marvel at the goodness of God that has brought dead things to life, broken things to healing, and that you would receive the calling on your life to be in step with him, devotion and pursuit of the life that he has woken you up for and walk along that way. Let me pray for us. Jesus, it is because of you and it is only you that could raise us to life. It is only because of your great love and mercy, kindness, that has brought us to an eternal life. Not only an eternal quantity of life, but an eternal quality of life right now with a destiny and a purpose. Remind us of who we were and because of you who we are and what it is that you are leading us to. And may this week we walk in obedience, faithfully pursuing your life. It's in your name we pray. Amen.